Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. When we think of Thanksgiving, we think of God and of others who have brought important, significant contributions into our lives over the previous year. Have you ever thought about thanking God for what he's going to contribute into your life the coming year and beyond? I want you to turn in your Bible, if you will, please, to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, chapter 12. Isaiah, chapter 12. And I want us to listen to a song of thanksgiving 2,750 years before there was a thanksgiving as a holiday. This coming Thursday, many of us will celebrate the day of thanksgiving, but for many the holiday and the celebration will be far from what we're used to. It will pale in comparison to a lot of the celebrations that families have had uh, over the years. But in spite of all of uh, what we're going through and all of the issues that we're facing and everything that's involved in uh, the ongoing pandemic... We still have a lot to be thankful for. We still have a lot to be thankful to God for, and we still have a lot to be thankful to each other for. I pray you will take the time this week to thank people by making a phone call, dropping a note, sending an email or a text, or if possible, stopping by and just letting people know how grateful you are for their contribution in your life, for the influence that they've had in your life. I pray that you will also thank God for his provision, for his protection, for his promises to you. For even though we do not deserve any of his attention at all, we realize he attends to us daily out of his great grace and love and mercy. Things that we do not deserve because of sin, things that we receive because of his grace toward us. And we will, no doubt, give thanks to the Lord for as many blessings this coming week, starting today and every day leading up to Thursday and then beyond Thursday, we will, as the song that we sang just a while ago, as the hymn writer had stated, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by 
one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. But today I want to challenge you to consider not only to be thankful for what God has done, but to also be thankful for what God is going to do. For what God is going to do. Uh, Dear friends, no matter what it is you're facing, no matter what it is that you personally, your family, your friends, your neighbors are going through, God has the final word. And God's final word has not been spoken. We are awaiting that time when we will hear his voice. The angel will cry out from the heavens and we will see him as he comes to take us out of the earth. I want you to look in Isaiah chapter 12. We're going to look at the first six verses, well, the only Um, Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. Only six verses in this very short chapter. Stand with me in honor of God's word, if you will, please. Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to thee, O Lord, for although thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou dost comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Do you hear that? God is my salvation. What? I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day... You will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word. You may be seated. This chapter and these words draw to a conclusion what the prophet had announced to Judah beginning in chapter 7 verse 1 and continuing on through chapter 12 and verse 6. These six chapters in the book of Isaiah speak of Emmanuel. God with us. They speak of Emmanuel, God with us. A reference to the coming Messiah, the one who will redeem Israel, the one who will set things aright for the people of God. But not only the one who comes in the name of the Lord to redeem Israel, but the one who comes in the name of the Lord to redeem all who put their faith and trust in him. Here's the back story to this chapter 12. The people of Judah found themselves in a pickle. 
This was a time when Israel was divided. You have Israel, the northern ten tribes. You have Judah, the southern two tribes. It seems that the brothers to the north, their king and their army, had moved against the brothers to the south. And they were ready to wage war against their own people. We are familiar with that in our history. We call it the Civil War. Those of the north and those of the south, families, brothers, divided over the issue of federalism versus states' rights, and then eventually the issue of slavery. But there was a division among the people of God. A civil war was about to break out in the promised land. Isaiah and his son, Shear Yashub, were sent down by the Lord to King Ahaz, H-A-Z, not Ahab, the wicked king who was married to Jezebel, but Ahaz, King Ahaz of Judah. And they were sent there by the Lord to calm him down, to reassure him that God was with the people of Judah, that God was not with the army of the northern tribes as they came to conquer their brothers in the south, that God would be with them and that Israel would be defeated. Isaiah then prophesied of the coming Messiah. In chapter 7, turn back a couple of pages, a couple of chapters to Isaiah 7, look at verse 14. This is within the corpus of the prophecy concerning the coming Emmanuel, the coming Messiah. Verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Now, even though what the prophet had said to the people of Judah was yet years away, it was a comfort to them to realize that God was aware of what was going on in their world. And I would say to you, dear friends, God is aware of what's going on in your world. God knows what you're going through. He knows that some of you have fallen ill to COVID. Some of you are sniffling even now because the flu season is upon us. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you are struggling to make ends meet in your family finances. Some of you are fed up and tired of the political wrangling that's going on. Some of you are disgusted 
with the situation and the circumstances uh, that are taking place in this state. Some of you are angry. Some of you are frustrated. Some of you are depressed. Some of you are wanting to throw up your hands and to give up. Some of you want to join the mass exodus out of this state to try to find greener pastures somewhere else. I understand all of that. But God understands all of that. He knows what you're going through. He is well aware of your situation. And just as Isaiah comforted King Ahaz with the truth that God was present with them to stave off the advances of their brothers to the north, he also encourages us that God is with us as well. And that he will continue to provide, he will continue to protect, and he will continue to honor his promises to his people. And so back to Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. This is the climax. This is the conclusion of the prophecy of the one who was to come. And the one who indeed has come. And the one who is coming again. Even the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is a very brief chapter. But in this chapter, there are two songs of thanksgiving. Verses 1 through 3 is a song of thanksgiving for God's salvation. Verses 4 through 6 is a song of thanksgiving for God's promises and for God's provision. And I want you to understand that this was a song not only to be sung by the Hebrew people when God wins the victory over those who oppress them, but this will also be the song that the saved Israel will sing on the day when Jesus establishes his millennial kingdom here in the earth. It will be the same song that a saved Israel will sing to the Lord on the day Jesus establishes his kingdom here on the earth. Let me explain this to you. The next event, the next event in scriptural eschatology is the rapture, when Jesus will appear in the clouds to take his church out of the earth and into glory. When is that going to happen? I have not a clue. But even the Apostle Paul in the days of his life believed that the return of the Lord was imminent. And beloved, the return of the Lord and his rapturing the church out of the earth is imminent. It could happen today. Everything biblical that needs to transpire, that needs to happen, that needs to be accomplished for the Lord to return has been accomplished. We are living on borrowed time. We are living by God's grace alone. At any moment, we could hear the shout of the angel 
with regard to the Lord's return. He will come. That was his promise. He will come and receive his people out of the earth. Then, after that event, the world will pass through seven years of great tribulation. 144,000 sons of Abraham, Jewish men, will be saved and sealed and sent by the Holy Spirit to evangelize the people of the earth in those dark days. You find this in Revelation chapter 7. There will be a great harvest of souls brought to faith in Jesus Christ during those seven years. Millions upon millions of those saved in those seven years will be Jews. They will see Christ as indeed the Messiah whom God had promised and sent, whom their ancestors had rejected, but they will see him for who he truly is, will believe on him, receive him as Christ and as Lord, and will be saved in the days of the tribulation period. At the close of those seven years of tribulation, Jesus will appear again. But this time, he will ascend from glory with the armies of heaven, to conquer those nations who have rejected him as Lord and Savior. No one will be left alive on the earth except those who have been saved by his grace through faith. He will then set up his millennial kingdom. And on that day when the kingdom is set up, a saved Israel will lift up their voices in praise and thanksgiving for the Lord Jesus Christ who has redeemed them from sin and has fulfilled the promises given to Abraham their father and they will enter into that kingdom rejoicing. This song, Isaiah chapter 12, will be sung by those people again at that time. I want you to note there are three things. There are three reasons for our praise and thanksgiving. Not only for their praise uh, of thanksgiving in that day and time when Isaiah made this prophecy but also three reasons for us. Taken from this same passage of scripture, three reasons for our rejoicing and for our praise of thanksgiving to the Lord. You'll find the first in verse 1. Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you comfort me. And you comfort me me. What an awful indictment against us that God would be angry with us. That's what Isaiah had said to King Ahaz in those days and that's what he's saying to us. For though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away. God angry at his creation. God angry at the epitome of his creation, mankind that was created in his image, and yet God 
angry with mankind. Why would God demonstrate his anger toward us? Well, the New Testament makes it very, very clear, as does the Old Testament. But we're more familiar with the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then again, Romans 6 and verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. God angry at his people for their sin, for their rebellion against him, for their ignoring him, for their decision to live their lives independent of him. God is angry with his people. So it is an indictment that is justly deserved by us. It is a judgment that is rightly warranted. In first John, excuse me, in John chapter 3 verses 18 to 20, Jesus said to Nicodemus, he who believes in him that is in Jesus in Christ in the Messiah, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. The man, woman, boy, or girl who has never come to saving faith in Jesus Christ stands condemned in their sin already. They do not have to wait to stand before the great white throne judgment of God to have the announcement of condemnation placed upon them. They stay already in that condemnation for their sin has not been removed from them. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, Jesus said, that light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be Exposed. There was a time, and some of you who are my age and older, there was a time when most criminals carried out their evil activities at night, where they could be cloaked in darkness. That's not true anymore. Evil has become bold and brazen in the days that we're living in today. Nancy was reading to me a news article just yesterday of uh, a poor Hispanic individual down in Mexico, was it? Who was uh, on his uh, bicycle, you see them around our neighborhoods, uh, Fresno. Fresno, got it. Fresno, a Hispanic man in Fresno on his bicycle uh, plying his wares, you know, that uh, he goes up and down the neighborhoods and kids and people come out and they buy their uh, candies and they buy their things. Someone drove right up, in broad daylight, drove right up to him and shot him dead. Evil has become bold and brazen in the days that we're living in. And because of that, my friends, there is a reason for us to fear and tremble. There is a reason for an anxious mind and for a troubled spirit and for a worried heart. 
Sin has ruined us. It has alienated us from God. It has tarnished our glory. It has marred God's image in us. It has robbed us of our present and our future inheritance. It has caused God's anger to rest upon us. But notice what the prophet said at the close of that verse. God has brought comfort to us. God has brought comfort to us. The word comfort, it means to be encouraged. It means to ease one's suffering. It means to relieve one's burden. And this comfort, my friend, is not only to ease the worried mind of an Israel in the northern territories who have mobilized their armies to conquer us, thus said Isaiah, to the, prophet, uh, Isaiah the prophet to King Ahaz, but also to us that God in Christ Jesus has brought us comfort. Comfort in the face of God's wrath for sin. Comfort in the removing of the penalty of sin from those who believe in Jesus Christ. Comfort and encouragement that we can continue to live as a people of God in a world that is growing darker and darker and darker under the cloak of evil and wickedness. God has brought us comfort. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you are angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Saying Isaiah to Ahaz. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Jesus is my advocate before the Father. Jesus is your advocate before the Father. What is an advocate? Well, in modern day Legalese, it would be our defense attorney. He is the one who stands before holy and righteous God, and he pleads our case before the Father. Why do we need someone to intercede for us? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And because you have if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, because you have put your faith and trust in the Son of God, whom God has sent to save you from sin, he continues to plead our case before the Father because Satan is there as well. And Satan is there as a prosecuting attorney, pointing out our faults, pointing out our sin, pointing out our rebellion against the Lord. And while he points those things out to God the Father in heaven, Jesus, as our defense attorney, counters every accusation he makes against you and that he makes against me. That may be true, Father, but I gave my life on the cross and that person is covered by my blood. And judgment cannot be held against that individual. 
we have an advocate who pleads our case before the throne of God. And that case is based upon his sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary. But note also, he is our propitiation. He is our propitiation for sin. What does that mean? Jesus is the appeasement of God's wrath. God looked from heaven upon the sacrifice of his son on the cross of Calvary. And when he died and cried out, it is finished, meaning the sin debt has been paid, God was satisfied. Jesus not only took our sin upon himself, he became sin for us. And in his death, that sin was washed away. That sin was atoned for. That sin was satisfied by his sacrifice. He is the satisfaction of God's wrath for our sin. He is our reconciliation to God. Apart from Jesus Christ, we stand condemned in our sin, awaiting the final day of judgment in hell. But in Jesus Christ, we stand justified of our sin, acquitted, justified, awaiting the final day of glory when we enter into that kingdom. Is there cause for praise and for thanksgiving? Absolutely. Absolutely there is cause for praise and thanksgiving. I want you to note the word, give thanks, in Isaiah 12, in verse 1. Give thanks. It's in the imperfect tense in the Hebrew, which means it's continuous action. Isaiah is saying, because of the one who is to come, because of Emmanuel who will be with us, there will be cause for continual praise and thanksgiving to the Lord God. Every day, every week, every month, every year, there is cause for thanksgiving. Now I want you to note the second reason for our praise and thanksgiving. It's found in verse 2. Look at verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. Literally, in the Hebrew, the, uh, that Isaiah says, my salvation is God Himself. Isaiah got it right. Isaiah got it right. God does not give salvation. God is salvation. When you have God in your life, you are saved because God is salvation. Salvation and God, they're not distinct from each other. Salvation is in God and God is our salvation. John chapter 17 and verse 3, this is eternal life, Jesus said in the high priestly prayer. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is salvation in the prayer of Jesus? That they will know you, Father. And I submit to you, dear friends, if you know God personally through Jesus Christ, then you have salvation. 
It is not something that God adds to your life. It is God himself in your life. That's what saved you. 1 John 5, verses 11 and 12, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. The promised Messiah of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is our strength. He is our song because He is our Salvation. And note finally the third reason for our praise and thanksgiving, and it's found in verse 3. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. Therefore, based upon what I have told you, based upon who God is and what God has promised, you can draw water from the springs of salvation. And you can do that with a joyful heart. To the woman at the well, the woman of Sychar, a woman who was certainly troubled. A woman who was an outcast, who was despised. A woman who was the object of scorn. No doubt much of the gossip of the women in the community and much of the criticism of the men in the community were directed toward her. Living a life of humiliation, living a life of sin living a life of hopelessness, finds herself walking out at midday to the well to draw water. No companions will go with her, no friends to accompany her, and she cannot join the other women because of their scorn directed toward her. To this sinful woman at Jacob's well, Jesus said, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. John 4 and verse 10. I remember back a long, long time ago. My father and I, we worked together in the hay business. We did this as an aside job from all of the other things that we did, but my father and I were a team. We would go around Scott County in Arkansas, where we lived. Uh, we would go to farmers who had large fields, who, were, um, who had cattle and horses and so on and so forth, and we would um, contract with them to cut the hay out in their fields, and rake it and bale it and then um, take it into their barns for their animals. I remember we were down at Mr. Chambers' ranch, uh, just down from Evening Shade Church where we attended church. And Mr. Chambers was, um, at that time he was in his 80s or so. And he was one of those... Uh, elderly guys that had a difficult time coming up into the 20th century. Uh, there was no running water in his house. And, uh, there was an outhouse behind the house. and He drew his water from a well out in the front of his house. 
This was in the summertime because that's when we would cut and rake and bale hay. And in the summertime, where we lived in Arkansas was, was humid, it was hot and humid. And the problem of the heat and the humidity was compounded by the dust that would come up from uh, the dried out uh, grasses that we had cut as, we, as I would rake them and Dad would follow behind with the baler and bale them. The dust would just fly up, choking dust would fly up and it would, it would exacerbate us. It would, just, it would cause us to wish we were someplace else than there. And I remember Mr. Chambers, fine Christian man, drove his old pickup out into the field where we were at. It was about a 40-acre field, large field. And he drove up and he says, Why don't you boys uh, take a break and come to the house and uh, we'll just sit down for a spell and rest. It's way too hot for you to be out here. So we did. We drove over to the house. So he drove us in his pickup over to the house. And we sat and we talked and... Uh, he was single. His wife had died. And we walked over to the well. And we drew water out of that well. And I'll tell you what. It was the sweetest water I had ever tasted in my life. And I don't know if it was because I was so hot I was about to faint. Or if it was because of the dust that was in my face and in my mouth and in my throat. But when we drew water from that well, I don't know how deep that well was, but it was cold, it was ice cold, and it was the sweetest water I had ever tasted. And I stood by that well drawing bucket after bucket of water, drinking from that well. Jesus said to this woman, in John 4, verses 13 and 14, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. And we did from the well of Mr. Chambers. At the close of the day, we went back to his house. And as dad was settling up business, I was out there by that well drawing more water. I wanted some more of that sweet well water. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up unto eternal life. This Thanksgiving, dear friends, not only would I encourage you to be thankful for what the Lord Jesus has done in your life, but I would also encourage you to be thankful for what He is going to do in your life. The remainder of the day, the remainder of the week, the remainder of your life and for all eternity. To be thankful for what Jesus Christ is going to do. He has come from glory, clothed in human flesh, lived a perfectly sinless life, revealed to us the true and the living God, died on a cross bearing our sin, received the punishment of God for that sin on our behalf. He was buried. He rose from the dead three days later. He has ascended on high as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Those are the things that He has done for us. And those are the things that we must be grateful to Him. Amen? 
No one could save you from your sin. No one could save me from the wrath of God. No one could save us from the judgment of God in an eternal hell but Jesus Christ whom God has sent. We need to be thankful to the Lord God for what he has done for us. But what is he going to do? What is it that he is going to do? He's going to return someday. And he's going to take his church out of the earth before the great and the terrible day of the Lord comes. He will, after seven years of tribulation, put down the rebellion of Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet and all of those who worship and follow after them. He will establish his kingdom in the earth. And those who know him personally, who have been saved by his grace, will reign with him in that kingdom for a thousand years. And at the end of that millennial reign, he will welcome the saints of all time into his eternal kingdom. He will then judge the unrighteous and the ungodly for their sin of rejecting him. And he will assign them to their place that he has created for the devil and his angels where they will dwell in the fires of hell for all eternity. And then he will destroy the old creation and create a new heaven and a new earth where we will live and we will worship him forever and forever. Do you have that well of living water springing up within you? Is Jesus Christ your salvation? When he appears, will you be taken with him and with his church into glory? And when he, his kingdom comes, will you, with the countless multitude of people, sing the song of praise and thanksgiving that I, Isaiah described here? In chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. When the day comes that we celebrate Thanksgiving, will you, above all others and above all things, give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is your salvation? Stand together with me for prayer. God, I pray your blessing upon your people not only here in this place, but throughout California, throughout the nation, across the world, that as we draw near to a time of giving thanks, that we will remember Jesus first and foremost, and that our greatest praise and our highest gratitude will go to Him whom to know is life everlasting. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great day and a great Thanksgiving week. You too. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.